Well, greetings and welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. I don't know why I felt like talking this way, boys, but as but we I could tell you were going to because you had this look in your eye right before you started talking. <laughs> yes, sir. I was well as we were talking about different subjects, I just thought, man, there is so much to talk about. And the phrase that came to mind was hot diggity dog. <laughs> There'd be a lot of things to talk about, boys. So um, I think yeah. that that should be a thing, like in the news, when it's been a particularly full day. Journalists should have to start by saying "hot diggity dog." Wow. Yes, sir. Well, pilgrims, oh. let's uh, let's get into our show pilgrims this day. I triggered be, the pro. Yeah, right. Um, the problem with these accents is I'll start with one and I end up. It all ends up somewhere else. I- Does it all end up eventually in the same place? Is it like you know how? Oh, yes. Half the world's accents resolve into bad British uh, accents for Americans? Or Well, I've got the opposite. It's probably because I'm an inner... The, the inner me is really mm. a hillbilly. And so if I start with like a British accent and I keep keep it up, okay. eventually I'm in hillbilly mode. Nice. Australian hillbilly mode. Um, Northeastern United States. Boy, that's a tough accent. The Massachusetts mm. one, those guys. Um, mm. But I'll always end up in hillbilly mode. So I'm just getting straight nice. straight to it. Fantastic. Well, well, guys, I appreciate your flexibility with my crazy schedule. <laughs> we done getting on an airplane later today, and we got to get going. Um, so we'll uh, get right <laughs> to our subjects here. Uh, as we've talked about, a ton to talk about. Um, and so... I guess let's start with, I think, the, the the interesting one here. And I guess I've taken for granted that our audience knows who we are. So, Chris and Caleb, uh, what do you think, my name is Nate, about this trillion-dollar coin that is being theorized that should be minted to help with this debt ceiling, help with the national debt? Is this for real, or is this just somebody punking <laughs> us? Is this off? It's not the Babylon Bee anymore, right? It's it's called not the Bee. What, is this from the Onion? Or is this a legit... <laughs> Someone's actually serious about the United States government minting a trillion dollar coin. I don't know that you can actually safely either be relieved or not relieved based off of which of those publications put an idea out. Because half the time, I think (laughs) Mm -hmm. they sort of monitor those places for good ideas. Yes. Yeah. Let's keep an eye on the onion. They get some good (laughs) concepts once in a while. Let's try that. (laughs) It would be fantastic. Yeah. No, unfortunately, I think this is uh, currently in the potentially good idea category. What if they were like to accidentally mint multiples and then they like some got out? I'll take one. (laughs) That reminds me. I don't know that you can spend it anywhere, right? That's where you're. I was in in the Far East once and I wanted to buy fake watches. So I asked the guys, where do you go to buy good fake watches? Oh, it's this underground market. It actually was underground. Um, with all these stalls and everything. And they had a bunch of cheesy watches. Like, obviously, Rolex doesn't make a watch with a plastic band. Um, then they said, oh, but the really good ones are over there. And so we went over to look. I actually didn't end up buying anything. But um, they were, like, amazing, incredible watches for sale. I guess watches that would cost six figures easy. Mm. And, uh, and they were on sale for like two grand or something. Um, but they were like incredible replicas. So I started asking like where these come from. And they were shameless. They said, well, the movements are all made in Switzerland. 
but the bodies and everything else are stamped and, and manufactured in China. So they'll run an order of 5,000. They just keep the machine going for a little bit longer. <laughs> Pop these out and make fakes. Nice. Sure. So to your point on the minting, yeah. There How you do you know we just made one? Maybe we That's popped right. a few more out. Maybe we popped a few more out. You know, it, kinda, it reminds me of uh, the old like million dollar bill tract thing, you know? <laughs> Did you guys remember? I don't know if you ever saw those. Oh, yes. Where there was a... a, a, a a gospel track, but it looked like like a million dollar bill. And oh, you know, I remember that; those were terrible. They're you terrible. Flip it you over know, and it says surprise. Well, <laughs> when I worked when I worked at Starbucks, which was incidentally one of my favorite jobs, I think because I like people, and we didn't have a drive through at that store, so it was fantastic. Oh, yeah, it was all lobby. Anyway, um, but you know, I remember getting it. My my coworkers all knew I was a Christian, right? And we got one of these tracks in the tip jar, right? You know, oh. and it was like you know. Come on, Christians. You know, if you're going to do that, actually, actually, you know, get a, a good track and attach it to like a hundred dollar bill and, and drop it in there. Staple it, right? Yeah, so you staple it together. on there um, <laughs> so that the people actually take you seriously because you know what? That, that, that caused more harm than good. Um, yeah. Uh, in, at least in that context, being dropped in a tip jar was, uh, was not, uh, yeah. You know how many of my fellow employees that needed to hear the gospel read that? None. Yeah. None. <laughs> No, none of no. them. And I'm sure it also <laughs> and it one, soured more, them. one more layer of I don't ever want to hear the gospel <laughs> yeah. on top. So anyway, this yeah. coin kind of reminded so me of that. that whole like, you know what? Did it have any value? Well, sure the gospel does. Did the paper that has said $1 million have a $1 million value? No. Does a coin that's minted that says that one it's worth a trillion dollars actually have that value? No, it doesn't. We were talking about this earlier, Chris. Yeah. Like, if we stole, if someone stole that, right? What happens next? Then hypothetically, uh, then you run. <laughs> but uh, how big is the there's, coin? There's a, is it like the size of no, a professional wrestling belt buckle? It's like one of like a uh, it fifty be, cent piece little, or something, right? It's like, yeah. yeah. But you can just imagine like waltzing into like your local Seven Eleven and being like, "Hey, can you make change?" Can you break this? <laughs> like, the number of financial institutions on the planet that can handle this are few. And the number of those institutions, they're going to be like, oh, you happen to have a random trillion dollar coin. Sure. No questions asked. There's probably a black. None. If you could get a hold of the right people in the black market somewhere, there's got to be some value where they want to, you know, they could hold it hostage and give it back to the United States, resell it back. But that's for- the thing is because it means nothing, it doesn't actually represent anything. All the government has to do is invalidate it and print a new one. It's true. It's uh, it's the it's we're talking about a B movie uh, storyline here, right? Somebody's going oh, to yeah. already be writing a script about this stealing the trillion dollar coin. Oh, absolutely. What so you- here's fun fact. Oh, go ahead. So if you earned a dollar every second of every day, mm-hmm. day and night, 24 hours a day, every second you earned a dollar, how long do you think you will work to be able to earn this trillion dollar coin? Oh, good grief. It's got to be like 900 years. No, no. It's got to be worse than that because you're not getting anything exponential. It's just a buck a second, right? A buck a second. That's your hourly wage. So oh. you're making $60 a minute. thousand years. <laughs> Gotta be insane because I forget thirty-one thousand seven hundred and nine point eight years. Wow! So we're we're talking about a, a, a coin that represents a number that is so big it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, and that's part of what I think makes this story interesting, and also it makes it sad. But I have a comment. But first, I want to get to what you were going to say, Nate. Which part? You were about to say something, and then I was like, you want to hear something interesting? I interrupted you. Oh, man. Now I don't remember, because yours was so interesting. It eclipsed my <laughs> thought. 
Oh, well, I think. Oh, oh, oh so so U.S. Depart- Treasury mints this thing. Cha-ching. And I wonder which place would mint it. Philadelphia has a coin mint. I don't know where all the coin mints are. Dollars is in D.C. But anyway, <laughs> they mentioned that it was going to have to be because they would do this as a last second thing to keep the use from defaulting on his debt by by <laughs> making up money and then depositing and, but they, it. They yeah, they'd have to deposit to, it in the federal. It would have to be deposited deposited in the Fed. And so they were talking about how they had to have a helicopter that would be on standby oh, yeah. to whisk this newly minted coin to make because it had to technically get into that building. And that's well, you hilarious f- to me you because you got to fill out the deposit. The deposit slip is always a hassle. Did you, you know, the deposit slip got to get your account number right. Yeah. And you got, how do you fit all those zeros into that box at the bottom? Why do they even even bother anymore? Why not just go to their (laughs) bank account and be like, one trillion dollars. I mean, that's all they're doing. <laughs> that's all they're doing. This, yes. it's why waste so much money minting a coin and helicoptering it there. when it's literally worth it's nothing? See, the helicopter's debt. the weak point. That's when the bad guys come Ooh, in. Oh, there you go. And they, so if they'll you're, probably uh, use a C-130 to like with a net to scoop up the chopper. And then we'll default. Just, yeah. What? <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh, I love that. That it has to be timed perfectly because who, when have you ever been to a bank where it went as perfectly as you thought in terms of the time? There's always a line. That's the thing. You get to the Fed and there's five guys in front of you. There's a guy trying to break a hundred dollar bill into mm-hmm. quarters and they don't have enough that you're going to, you're not going to meet your yep. deadline, even mm-hmm. with your trillion dollar coin. So here's the question. If we said, no, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling or invent trillion dollar coins. How close are we to the point where it is impossible, no matter how many programs we cut, to make debt payments on our current debt? Oh, we're really close already. I think we are. Yeah. I think it's amazing how much of the national budget is just servicing debt, like minimum payments, it's, basically. Yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah. And mm. I, what's the, what is the interest rate on uh, old Uncle Sam's bank? Oh, it varies. Know. What are treasury T-bonds and whatnot? But I, it, it, we're talking about a level, and this is where like China is buying massive amounts of our debt. Other countries mm-hmm. are buying this debt, I think, right? Yeah. Um, or we're until they're like, wait, you're printing trillion dollar coins? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know what this interest is, but I did I do hear regularly how what a significant portion of the national budget. Uh, is is allocated to just pay, making minimum payments on what's been borrowed already. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this: we've got we've got a uh, our new sheriff in town, um, and by that I don't necessarily mean, just mean President Biden, but the Democrat Party controls um, the legislative and executive branches and has total control, can pass whatever they want. What do you think? Um, do you think they're thinking beyond? There's, they want to spend. Trillions more, already trillions have been spent under President Trump. Trillions were spent. Um, what do you think the end game is? Makes you pine for the good old days when they only added billions to the deficit. Yeah, when billion was <laughs> impressive. <laughs> you know, it is personally, but uh, people talk about billions in terms of government. It's nothing now. Mm. Uh, no, no, but it is. It is. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. A, it is. <laughs> so billions, billions are significant. Trillions are just nonsense what's what's the end game though is or is there one is anyone thinking beyond next week anymore well some people are i mean some people are excited about this because they're hoping this topples the the global economic you know institution um you know the great reset uh so that there's there's folks along those lines that are happy there are others that just don't think that their decisions have to ever have consequences 
Uh, they're not thinking beyond the next election cycle, or they just live in this assumption that nothing ever has to represent value. It can just be a number game and we're in control of it. And that lasts just as long as people let it last, right? A fiat currency is only a game that can be played as long as everybody wants to play the game because it doesn't represent anything. Uh, and so there's, I think a lot of people that are just assuming, well, it's gone this way pretty well so far. Reminds me of, uh, you know, in the Bible when it warns, there are going to be people saying, well, it's just, God's never going to judge us. He's never going to do anything because, man, it's been a long time and we've just been clicking right along. And then boom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so do you think, do you think kind of that, that old, old analogy, right? If you put a frog into a boiling pot of water, he jumps right out. But if you just crank it up by degrees, does he I really don't know. Just it's die. pretty sadistic to try. I <laughs> wouldn't test it. But I just kind of imagine he go, I'd imagine he'd notice, but he'd just be like, oh, kids, if you try this, you'll probably be on a watch list. So don't yeah, try don't it do at that. home. The, Ooh, uh, that reminds me of another interesting story. Go the ahead. analogy of, of <laughs> gradually turning up the temperature. And I think in terms of our society, there's a couple mm. things I find interesting. So you have a, entire generations of people that borrowed massive amounts of money to buy a house, for example. And in 2008, that many of those people lost their homes. Their credit was destroyed, but life goes on, right? So there was no, I mean, there was immediate pain and stress. I've not had to go through that, but I can only imagine how difficult that is. But in the long term, life goes on. And, uh, and then you also have a lot of um, student debt out there, some of which just gets forgiven. There's a big press to just forgive it all. So, which, <laughs> but those, those universities will get paid. Oh, by us, the yes. taxpayer. <laughs> yes, I was yes. going to say, um, we're forgiven all... by somebody who is benevolently going to cancel their debt by stealing your money and paying it. An unpopular statement by a, uh, a would-be president of the United States, uh, Mitt Romney, when he pointed out that like, only half the country actually pays taxes. And yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. I mean, so the, the half of the, that half that is paying taxes is the one that helps fund that. But I guess what I go back to is, does all this kind of create this this mindset that it's not really real. It's just numbers in a computer. Like on a personal level, people are experiencing, you know, that they, maybe they put a security deposit down on an apartment, they ring up the bills and they just move on. And yeah. people are like, so, so that on, on, for a number of people, not all people, but for a number of people, and they are voters, have they over time gradually begun to just think everything's that way? Very little consequence. Doesn't matter so much what I do. Once in a while, I'll run into a hard truth. And maybe they spend the night in jail or something. But, but in terms of res personal responsibility, does that kind of create this mindset of, well, if it's true for me, it's true for the government or vice versa. If it's true for the government, it's true for me. But this general sense of irresponsibility that seems all too pervasive. What do you think? <laughs> I agree. What do you think, Caleb? Me too. Yeah. Do you, right, wanna, do you want to elucidate? Nope. Okay. And I, I do. <laughs> uh, I could tell. But you, you never have just, you, <laughs> you can't pull by, you can't pull by. Yep. I yep. love this show though. I, if you agree on, on a radio show, and it's kind of like a radio show, you must expound, right? You I must, think so. Right. Must, must so fill the air. Go, Caleb. I, I don't feel like need to. Dead air, Caleb. Why do you agree, I'll, I'll Caleb? Change the, you want to change the topic? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, let's change the topic. Yeah. Oh, wait, Chris, Chris wants to say something I do. I think, I think this is actually a big deal. <laughs> it is I a big deal. I think it is a big deal. I agree. And it ties into, yes. this is where the trillion dollar coin 
is a symptom of the exact same disease that um, that the LGBTQ array, array uh, represents. And that is that two generations that were firing their howitzers at epistemology have blown that wall down, and now they are shooting those same howitzers at the castle keep of ontology, and the gaping holes in that wall is what we're now seeing as this sense of fluidity, this sense of constant malleability, this um, lack of, of predicting causes that will have effects, right? That everything is, is able to just be what I want it to be outside of any external consequences that I have to be concerned about. And, and that, is, that is an extremely toxic, dangerous uh, world that we, we are now indoctrinating our, our children in. Uh, you go back to when, uh, you know, the critical, the critical theories, we talk about um, a couple that are really popular today, but the, the idea of critical theories goes way back. And there's a critical theory for everything. Oh, it's formally like 80 years old or something, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And just, it was a systematic attempt to put acid on any objectivity or confidence in the knowability of anything objectively, externally, universally, no ability became just purely personal, my interaction with something. Uh, you then extend that. What happens when you raise people on that nonsense? Then they start to say, well, now I'm not just even questioning how things are known. I'm questioning what things are. And so whereas you go back a ways um, in America, in particular with our currency system, there was a time when our currency was a symbol to represent men's and women's work, right? Value, things that had been produced. And so there had, there had been vocation, there had been effort, there had been expense of time and energy that had produced an increased amount of value in the economic system. That value was represented then by a currency that had value. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we said, nah, no, that's expensive. Let's, Let's get away from that. And we went to a fiat currency that now is just a, a number that represents people thinking that it represents something that's valuable, right? It's, it is just a piece of paper. And it's, behind its value is based upon a perception of the stability, long term stability of the US government. The full faith. There's no gold standard yeah, or any of that anymore. The full faith and credit of the yeah. US government. Yeah. So, mm. so it was represented to we think that the government's good at this math game. It no longer has anything to do with the value that has objectively been created within the nation. It's no longer connected to the, the direct outcome of your efforts, your labors, your work. <clears throat> uh, and that's, that's how you can come to a point where you just make up a trillion dollar coin mm. is because it doesn't mean anything anymore. What is money? Right? Money is now just this meaningless, worthless thing that you have to invent in order to do all the stuff you want to do. This speaks to a concern. Are you guys familiar with the YouTuber named Mr. Beast? Mr. Beast mm. rings a vague bell. I think He's some probably, of our Utes have mentioned him. Probably the most phenomenally successful YouTuber Fantastic. in existence, right? So, okay. So I, I'm not a fan of Mr. Beast. I do see some Does of the videos. Does he have a friend called Mr. Antichrist? That, not yet. Not, that, not <laughs> so, yet. Okay. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> Mr. Beast 
Mitch, <laughs> Mr. Beast. I don't know. I'm just imagining name. someday, like Mr. Beast. I have the report from uh, the One World Government for you today. <laughs> the the P and L, Mr. Beast. Yeah. Um, you are required to subscribe to my channel. So phenomenally successful. I, I think. I don't know what he makes per year, but I saw an article, I think in Forbes recently, that he spends close to $50 million a year making the videos. So I don't know what his margin on top of that is. So very young guy. But here's my point. Um, If you watch any of his videos, his shtick is like giving things away. Um, Walking into a used furniture store and quite literally buying everything for some random customer spending tens of thousands. And it's just, uh, and clearly they're thrilled. They feel like they fit the jackpot buying people's homes for them, uh, buying cars. I mean, it's just, so in a way it's kind of cool, but I will say I have a, I had a concern. I actually talked to my kids about this. I said, here's my concern guys. Um, it makes money feel worthless the way he spends it and you're watching, especially his, his viewer basis, I, I would imagine primarily young people. Um, it's, it's kind of cool to watch him go into value village and buy everything, like everything and go give it all away. It's kind of cool. But, but to the viewer watching this, you get this, you get this, pers- especially if you've never worked yet, you're a young right. person, you develop this view, very subtle view that money just appears. It just, it just is. And so it kind of ties into your, I think, I think this general point that we're making that nothing is really valued anymore. Um, something else. Hmm. I, I, I don't Do you know what his first video was? Oh, uh, no, no. I just, I just looked this up. Yeah. Him for 44 hours straight counting to 100,000. <laughs> and he got 21 million people to watch the video of him counting. Well, that was, so that, that was his kind first of engagement. That they does got help on that. him. So you know, there is a way in which his viewers actually perhaps do appreciate some of these numbers. That was more. when he rose to six. I mean, he was a YouTuber uh, before. That, okay. So. First video that gained popularity. Yeah, yeah, okay. There he, you go. He, says his estimated net worth is 15 million. He is, uh, he is obsessive about the video producing and whatnot that's that was came through i think you started article. as like a just a, a video game youtube player kind of thing but then he started doing other stuff Do you know so, what's more impressive than counting to a hundred thousand counting to a million which is what my brother did growing up did he how he long did. did that take him did he take uh, it breaks? was a long he did because he had a notebook every time we'd go somewhere <laughs> he would just be there in the car counting and whenever we arrived at our destination he'd write down whatever number he left off on and then he'd pick it back up and uh, yeah, he is very brilliant. What kind, is he a he's bit of persistent? A, is he a bit of a savant? Does he? I mean, that takes that takes an unusual level of focus. Yeah, his brain works on a different level than mine does. Yeah, interesting. Uh, speaking of um, real reality and perception, did you guys see this this uh, tweet that Justin Trudeau sent out this week <laughs> with eleven? He's character got a, long. He's got a new acronym. Soup. Yeah, he yep. referred to. I, I'm gonna have to read it. He he. His tweet. Let me see if I can get. People across the country are lighting candles to honor Indigenous women, girls, and here we go. Two S L G B T Q Q I A plus people who are missing or have been murdered. Um, so there's a new acronym. Uh, the reason I even think of brought this up is because there's some rapper who I'm not 
real familiar with, who I thought just had the best response ever. His name's Zuby. <laughs> Zuby. His, his response was, headbutting the keyboard is now a sexuality. <laughs> just the, uh, the image uh, is so classic. <laughs> what, see, what has happened to our planet that the like most forward, right-leaning comment, social commentary that I am hearing is from... Rappers and comedians, right? Rappers like left <laughs> part left. I, what has happened? I heard a I heard mm-hmm. a, a podcast quote from Bill Maher, and you know, I I, I mm-hmm. listen in on him as frustrating as he can Is be. Is he on Fox News? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think him and that fellow Gutfeld would come to fisticuffs. Oh, nice! But, but Maher, does, he's a comedian, fisticuffs. of course, who does a, a he's doing a national tour, and he said something's changed. He said that 40% of his audience, they used to all be liberal because that's his, that's his meat and potatoes. He said 40% of his audiences are now conservatives. And he said the reason he thinks this is true is because, as he put it, he said, people might disagree. He says, liberals used to not have a crazy section. <laughs> so he put it in, and now we do. And he said just the idea, the thing that he speak, the things he's speaking about, which... um I mean, sometimes sound downright conservative, but anyway, you're just speaking the truth in this climate is pretty, pretty provocative. But, but back to the trillion dollar coin, we probably got some other things we want to touch on though. It does seem strange that, that we really do feel this disconnection between reality and rhetoric. And, and that this is kind of a, didn't, I think a developing interest of mine is we live in this time where rhetoric is everything and Pretty mm-hmm. regularly, you see the failure of rhetoric because it slams into reality. Yeah, the trillion dollar corn coin—it's just—it's—it's it's rhetoric. That's all it is. It's just talk. I mean, it's—it's it's a physical item, but it's a representation of just empty talk. Yeah, this is—I mean—it's an actual instantiation of the concept that perception is reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we should have some. That made, is dangerous. Can your lazy—you got yourself like—you got yourself one of them there plastic printers over there. <laughs> You should make some coins. I should. Oh, you should make us some trillion dollar coins. Do a t- two, porch. Two, tr- ten. Two, two trillion. Two trillion. Or one we'll, trillion we're in We're modest. One. We'll start with two trillion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, well, guys, let's, uh, this is fun, but let's, um, let's shift into, we've got our topics up here on the board. Um, man, I want to hear about your trip, the G3 oh, boy. trip. I could talk a lot about the trip. I think the, well, <laughs> I know, here's the thing. I, I, you know, you're, I really want to focus on the dining out, if possible, because that's the best part of any trip. Yeah. Well, um, you might have had... <laughs> you didn't travel with us. Arby's. To, to, to downtown Atlanta. Arby's. <laughs> Arby's was good. <laughs> we, we, we found, actually, you know, the, you the easiest no place that we... Uh, that we could all agree upon <laughs> to eat was the CNN Center <laughs> World Center. Wow. <laughs> CNN has good food? Like no. the cafeteria or something? It or? wasn't bad. The food court. It was food fine, court. but it they wasn't a, like... They have a place called Burger Fi. That was good. It was good. You, They're you, proud of their burgers, but they, it was good. And they were not cheap. But so no. you, were, you were in Atlanta, right? We're in Atlanta. And how many of you went? Four? Four, four of us. And culinary, you, you know, four area. Four and 6,500 sure. other of our good friends. And you all, the four of you all worked together, right? Yes. Your own staff together. here. Yep. Okay. And so tell me about the G3, because I know, you know, sure. pretend I know nothing. G3 is a conference that was started um, mainly in, well, in Atlanta by a pastor uh, there. Um, Josh Bice, not spelt like you would think Bice is spelt. Nope. He's another one of those. Uh, anyway, um, but uh, uh, pastor of uh, Praise Mill 
is it Baptist church? Praise Mill something church. It's Praise yeah. Mill yeah. church. Definitely had a Baptist yeah. vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a Baptist church. I don't know what it is. What is Praise Mill. What does the G3 stand for? What are the th- Gospel, three? Grace, and Glory. Okay. Okay. And, so, and there were 6,500 attendees. Yeah, it's grown. Uh, and yeah, originally it was, it was primarily for, to help, uh, bolster, you know, theological, um, discussion essentially in that okay. area for, for pastors and churches. Um, but, uh, it's grown to be more of just kind of a general conference, if you will, for like-minded individuals. So non-denominational or is it tend to focus on the reform boys are definitely on, yeah. the, on the highest rung of the ladder there. Well, they love themselves a conference. Yeah, but they let, they let old Johnny Mac and all of his crew in. So they, <laughs> he's, a, let, he's a reform guy. They'll let I mean, they us had, dispensationals in. So they had they had Saint Baptists. John MacArthur is, they had, is reformed is like fighting words, like, though. Just, the way you said that, Chris, <laughs> I had this view of like Johnny Mac with a posse rolling in, right? Well, <laughs> let's see. Well, jo, uh, Joel Beakey, he's, uh, yeah. he's probably Presbyterian or something. I don't know. He's reformed. He's reformed. But the, you know, there's Reformed Baptists. There's the you know, there right. a number of different people. So, day, how many days is the conference? Three days. Three days for the main part. Yeah. Like yeah. Keynote, keynotes and with like breakout classes day. or whatever. Is was, that typical? I, so I, I wish there would had been more. Yeah, I wish there had been more breakouts or more opportunities for breakouts. Same guys speaking on the same thing or whatever. Because they had like each uh, each day of the two main days, they had only one breakout right after lunch. And I also posed a bit of a challenge because you had to decide whether you're going to go somewhere where you're going to have to stand in line for lunch. Like we, we had to book it out of there to get to the Chick Fil A to stand in line for like 20 minutes to get our to get our food. The Chick Fil A had no is seating. It has six Chick Fil A's around the auditorium, and they're all closed except yes. for one. Oh, geez. so this is terrible plan. It was an apocalypse, and it didn't That's have indoor seating. Kathy would just be rolling over in his grave. Yeah, so we ended up, you know, and then we had to scarf it down and get back there because we wanted to get to our breakout. You know, so speaking of the food, was there controversy? Was there disunity, <laughs> discord amongst the uh, the brethren over where to go, or did you just? It sounds like you kind of always went with the lowest common denominator. <laughs> I've heard Arby's, Chick Fil A's not bad, but it's not bad. No. Uh, Arby's, Chick Fil A. <laughs> No, no, we, we, we did a pretty good job. I mean, we, if you know the four of us, well, at least three, three of the four of us, where we're relatively, I mean, when it comes to food, we're relatively indecisive. Well, Caleb, you're and a foodie, of, right? Are you an indecisive food. foodie? Well, I'm an indecisive foodie because I can get something to eat anywhere we go. And normally yeah. it's okay. Except I will say the last place we ate on the last day, I was skeptical. What was it called? I probably well, would, he I was probably, very skeptical. I, the whole way in, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a, oh, yeah. It was a corner market selling sushi? Or what was no, it? it was, uh, what was the place called? Metro Grill Cafe or, cafe or, or something. Metro something. Diner yeah. or something. Mm. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah. So I, I watched that uh, uh, Kitchen Impossible. You guys mm-hmm, ever watched, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, the big... Uh, big tough guy who's <laughs> huger than anybody else. Um, who, who's super nice though. He's a nice guy. Um, Ir- Irving Irvine. I forget his name. Robert man. Irvine. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Anyway, um, but he, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I just was thinking all the things he would say walking into this place. Were you pulling um, your sleeves up like he does? He's got I was those pythons, you know. Yeah, I know. I was trying to like, get get a tighter t shirt on. And, He's anyway. super nice until he starts screaming. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, that was the only place that. Uh, that was pretty suspect. But then it exceeded your expectations. But my expectations were really low at that yes. point. So it did exceed it in the sense that if I were there again, that might be the only thing I would still consider ordering on the menu. But 
Well, here's the thing, right? You go in, we get see the place is is kind of dirty. It's like on three or four levels. It's struggling to figure out what it wants to be. At the bottom level, when you walked in, you sound just a, like Irvine, by the way. A, there's a cake case, right? <laughs> a case with fresh made cakes or whatever, and they probably make their own. Do I mean, they? Oh, so if I were to question. walk in, I would yeah. think they're a pastry shop. It's delightful. Uh, but except that there's neon, and then it was like a bar down on the bottom floor. So it was all like barricaded off with like a big fish on the and wall. And there was a stuffed badger in the corner. It was a sign that said "Go upstairs." No, it was all like neon, old like <laughs> old like. Yeah, it looks like neon. something where a disco wanted to happen. Yeah, the the carpet was, looks like it was, it was you know happening. Probably replaced. Placed Lots of mirrors. A long time Lots ago. Visible kitchen or very hidden? Uh, I, I don't know if they had a kitchen. Yeah, I'm not sure they had a kitchen. had a microwave oven. So it was on like all these weird floors. floors. So we end up on like the third <laughs> tier, but they're like all tiered. Yeah. It was a weird, I don't know if it yeah. was the, the size of space they got. What did like, you order though? What would you get? Um, so anyway, but uh, I'm not quite there yet. I'll, <laughs> okay. get, I'll get there. <laughs> Sorry. So we we get Just in there. To, I mean, trying to run a show here. I know, I know. We're going to run out of time. But you you know, it's it's the kind of place where you see that there's like trash underneath all like the the, oh. the station. And you stayed? The station. Um, it was the, only because the windows he went into the room first cleaned. and he was stuck. You know? Oh. Uh, you know, and then and then you see people coming, you know, the waitresses are taking like trays back, cleaning tables with like half-eaten burgers and not because the portions were huge, right? Not a good Half-eaten uh, sandwiches. Like, one of the things that the, the waitress told us was like their, spe- their really hot item. Like there were several of them on a table that were half-eaten and I'm going, and then we ordered our food. It was great. I mean, they were friendly. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, we ordered our food. It came, it came very quickly, which is fantastic, except that it came too quickly for them to have actually cooked, cooked it. it. <laughs> so when we all ordered, when we all ordered very different, you know, food, like, well, there were two cheesesteaks and, uh, you ordered, then ordered country fried steak and I ordered a, a buffalo chicken wrap. I thought to myself, what could be the safest thing on this yeah. menu? <laughs> for me to eat. The fries well, were like, good. What looks you, yummy. And the fries were fresh. When you What's ordered the chicken wrap, did they ask you, did you want it medium rare? That's yeah. always a bad sign, right? No, it, this was this was clearly like fried chicken tossed in buffalo sauce. Like okay. it was okay. The menu made it. I, I went, this is all frozen product, but that's okay because that's what I want in this wrap, right? So. Oh, dear. It was fine. Wow. Well, it you was know, yummy. I, I've, I, I prob- I've dined with you both a little bit. It's always in a fast food context. I got to say, though, Chris scared me one day when we, I don't oh, know yeah? why we ran down. I think we ran down to get snacks at the Nom Nom gas station. No. Oh, <laughs> That's I'm true. We didn't like have a, a lot of time. I'm getting yeah. like a bag of chips and a soda. And Chris actually got a sandwich at Nom Nom. I, I didn't yeah. know they made sandwiches. So I was do. very brave. How did that yeah. work out? It was fine. I see them advertising Cordon Blue at the local gas really? station. <laughs> nice. I got to try that. <laughs> I'll let you try it, Chris. You're braver than me. Anyway, you right. know, it was a good conference. I've eaten in Egypt. I've, <laughs> yeah. At some point, you're like, eh, God's sovereign. Well, you're, yeah. You're, it's, I guess here in the Valley, Nom Nom's probably a form of ethnic food, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I will. A couple other things from the conference. One, yeah. I, I, we rented a VRBO that was, that was far too far away from the venue for us to actually be. How far of a drive considered was considered walking. Well, we didn't drive. We walked it. We decided. Oh, we didn't. We walk. didn't rent a car. We Ubered to the uh, VRBO and then we yep. walked everywhere for the weekend, we, which we is really healthy. Good, we had a lot of good conversations. You, good conversations. I sweat a, a lot. Oh. I'm not lighter. That's the problem. <laughs> I sweat far too much for not me not to have lost a lot of weight. Well, yeah, he was uh, not real happy with us. Oh man. So uh, good. Sounds like a good trip. I found out I'm yes. the shortest of the four of us as well. How did you and find my, that out? They could walk faster and then i looked around and i realized uh, i'm amongst giants that's my problem <laughs> were you calling up ubers and just i'll meet you there 
Yeah, I thought about it. Because yeah, I'm leaving early. trying to get him to do one of those lime scooters. Those are, yeah, they can try to even do a lime. Uh, <laughs> kind of cool. I should have. I I turn yeah. in that receipt. I Caleb wanted a picture of scooter receipts. It was so hilly. I just wanted a picture of Caleb bombing down one of these hills. <laughs> on bombing down scooter. and then struggling to get Woo! up. They're passing me. <laughs> yeah. The conference itself, though, um, yeah. it, was, it was interesting to see you can kind of go into a place and you begin to sort of get the spirit of the people that are there, you know, what, what's going on. And there's a unique vibe in the church these days mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. And I was hoping that would have been, you know, I think directed or addressed more directly, more yeah, often from the front. But even so, it was just, that was sort of the palpable subtext of even all of can the, you the messages that, that were bit, there. The vibe. The vibe. What's, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, there's just, there was a sense of not, um, how do you put it? I think in the, in the past, a lot of, at the conferences, I haven't been to a ton, but the conferences I've been to, you kind of get the feeling that this is a collection of pastors coming in that are representing a few different, um, a few different ministry places they're at. You either have the, the bedraggled folks that are in difficult churches that uh, are coming in for a respite. You know? Just to get away. Just, I just <laughs> need to be around somebody that will sing with me and not at me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and and then you have the people that are there because it's cool to go to conferences and I want to get the swag bag and the t-shirt and I want to shake hands and get pictures and there's that crowd. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that are just like, hey... Let's come, let's be encouraged, let's um, strategize, network, and figure out the next cool thing to help our church grow uh, and avoid stagnation and that sort of thing. Uh, there's just a sense I, I got more at, at this conference and that seems to be pervading the church more uh, broadly, which is more like troops mustering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just this sense that uh, there are there are drums in the deep, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and it's time, it's time for the church to stop goofing off and figure out what are we serious about and, and what formation are we supposed to be in? Mm-hmm. So the way you describe that, I mean, that, I was going to ask you that, that sense of, mm-hmm. of mustering, is that a Holy spirit driven sense? Is that something that we're just all tuned into the same manipulative media influences, but the way you unpack that gives it a different, I gives it a, hmm. a, I think a sincerity and a genuine depth. It sounds as if, yeah. uh, that, that, that whole question of what are we here for yeah. as a, as a, as a global church, um, that, that definitely seems like a call mm-hmm. back to new Testament fundamentals. What's the church about? Um, am I right. interpreting that right or? No, I think that's, that's correct. The, the conference itself was on Christ focusing on, mm. on the theology of the Christ of the Messiah. And, and that was helpful. But uh, the first major plenary session that we heard was from John MacArthur on kind of the pre-conference day. And it was, you guys have got to start being judgment preachers. You know, that just sort of mm-hmm. set the tone for the conference. Was, what does he mean by that? What he meant by that was, you know, he, he said, we've got to stop preaching a gospel that's, you know, God likes you so much, you should like him back. Mm-hmm. And instead, mm-hmm. we need to recognize and he went to Romans 1. When you look at what happens when God judges a culture, they go from suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and then picking another alternative form of worship to then a sexual revolution, a homosexual re- revolution, and then being given over to a depraved mind where they lose touch with reality. We're there. And he said, we're yeah. in a culture that doesn't know if, whether a man's a man or a girl's a girl. Like we, 
Mm-hmm. We are there. Mm-hmm. And so this is not a culture that is heading for God's judgment. This is a culture that is under God's judgment. Mm-hmm. And we have got to start proclaiming to this culture, you are being judged. Yeah. And you have got to repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to stop he said stop wooing with with comfort, you know. And yes. you know, our gospel message shouldn't be a woo with comfort. It, sh- it needs to be clear. Um it, doesn't that kind of feel full circle? I don't know about you guys. When I got saved as a kid, mm-hmm. I, my primary motivation was I did not want to be judged for my sin. (laughs) And, and then over time, as you get older, you grow to love Christ and his word. It's not always that way at the beginning. I mean, maybe it's a little different for everybody, but what's interesting is, um, I, I don't know if you guys had this sense, but for the longest time, like if you say, listen, I was scared of going to hell. And so I repented and gave my life and my heart to Christ. And now I belong to him. That always seemed like a, I don't know, it just seemed like that wasn't the best reason. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when, when it's a perfectly good reason. And to your point now, I, I think that's so interesting. Engaging the lost world is you are under judgment and it's going to get worse. Um, yeah. like, the pro, like the Old Testament prophets. Right. Um, that's interesting and, and mm-hmm. certainly relevant. I, that, that, and that is mercy. And that, that's yes. part of what we forget is when God wanted to be merciful to Nineveh, he right. said, Jonah, go tell them in 30 days, I'm going to obliterate you. Yeah. And that was it, right? There wasn't, but if you turn, I am so nice. Mm-hmm. It was just literally, you go into that city, you tell them 30 days, I'm going to obliterate you. And Jonah didn't want to preach that message because he knew proclaiming judgment to a fallen world was the best chance they had of receiving mercy. Mm-hmm. And and so he was like, no, don't make me do it. What mm-hmm. a great call to arms, uh, spiritually speaking, thinking of Ephesians chapter six, but what a great call to arms for the American church, mm-hmm. because I think we have, we have all certainly been tempted. Some of us flat out fallen into the distraction of keeping our nose, our eyes glued to political rallies and the voting right. booth and all that <laughs> yes. stuff. And I, I, I'm not, I, we all have a responsibility to vote, but that is not where the spiritual answers lie. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot. I've even been in a church context where people were handing out, you know, little pamphlets inviting me to a Huckabee thing or something. And I was like, Whoa, this is a little strange between, <laughs> between services. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I love the, you know, that is, that is what we're here for. That call to arms is not a call to a political uh, no, perspective. It, it is, is a call to the king, and 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 I think as Christians, it's, and it will make we need both that. sides of the political aisle mad because yeah. God's judging the Republicans, God's judging the Democrats, He's judging the Independents, the Green Party, the Communist Party, the Socialist mm-hmm. Party. He's judging everybody who has set themselves up against Him. Mm-hmm. And and if we will not be willing to say that to our culture, um, then we are dooming our culture. Yeah, like, that's that's the tragedy. Is um, because we love people, we need to be proclaimers of justice. And and then to see the way that that came out from just different perspectives from the different speakers, not all of them, I mean, few of them had that judgment theme, but it was kind of in the background of Christ is the king. And Do you think they are acknowledging that. compared notes before they got there when they're prepping their, no. their session? <laughs> I, don't <think> so. <laughs> I don't think so. Or do you think when, no. uh, okay, so, um, John, John MacArthur started. Do you think the other guys that were going to be preaching later are like, Ooh, that's a good point. Or do you think this, I'm curious because the Holy spirit, Mm -hmm. when it comes to preaching and teaching God's word, um, the Holy spirit is, is, I mean, guiding through that whole process. Mm -hmm. And there are certain Mm -hmm. themes that come out of passages that, 
I found interesting over the years, especially traveling, that you mm. could go, you might have your home church in Seattle and the pastor's preaching through a book series and he hit, hits on a theme, but that the following Sunday you're on the East Coast and it's like, that's interesting. This guy mm. who doesn't know my pastor is mm. preaching on the same thing. Always found that curious. Don't want to make too much yeah. of it. But do you yeah. think, do you think that in the context of the conference? Well, so we went, we went to a day of pre-conference. So actually that first, that was during the pre-conference, right. which really was geared more toward pastors, um, which was, I think, I think that was probably the most helpful day, at least in my, it, it but it kind of set the tone for the rest of the conference for us. That might have been different for, because oh, they were yeah. only what, 1700, I think, maybe even less, but that's when yeah, he seats they had there. for the, for the pre-conference. <laughs> only 1700. Well, I know, but yeah, considering that it was yes. 6400 for the main, for the whole. Yep. So who else comes conference. to the conference then? If only 1700 are pastors, who's these other, whatever, almost 5000? Well, it's, it is a separate deal. And so I think a lot of pastors that did come also just came for the main conference block because it's okay. a little bit shorter time period. And then the families also started to come. Got there it. were, there were groups. I mean, you know, uh, we could we could take a group of guys to G three. I mean, it, it's not limited to those in ministry roles. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. open for anyone who would like to go. And and a lot of uh, there there were pastors with their wives and families and kids and mm-hmm. little babies. And I mean, there, it was it was neat to see that there was you know mm-hmm. there were a lot of and uh, and yeah, obviously and different uh, even different. <laughs> to some degree, ethnically, in the sense that we had, you know, yeah, we some had two who, pastors from Africa, yeah, you know, that were came. coming. The king, oh. Conrad Bayway and Vodi wow. Bakum. We had, oh, okay. a so these are of note, like some speakers that came sure. from Africa, sure. okay. yeah. not just um, some guys you met in the food line. No, okay. but there, I mean, no. yeah, but then yeah, we also had another. One of our speakers was um, overseas. I think the the Baptist denomination in, mm-hmm. in the Caribbean, Caribbean, Caribbean. I can remember. Uh, I in well, in Antigua and something. It's yeah, but his. Two. Anyway. Of the Florida Keys. Yeah, so he yes. kind of had that like Wasn't accent that to my ear sounds just vaguely Jamaican. So oh, it's it kind of like, cool. Yeah, he was yeah, speaking man. really fast, and it took like the first twelve minutes before you could kind of get your ear tuned. To we be were able also to make... sitting right behind a pillar for that. It morning, was hard, yeah, and true. so we had all the audio was like indirectly bouncing off of walls to hit us. So that was a little. Yeah, was that because you arrived but... late? You got lousy seats, or no? We actually got there early that day. And got closer to the front. But I mean, it's still it's still kind of it, the way the venue was set up. I mean, there were just that many people, and it was in essentially a convention center, kind of a not an auditorium, but like in a in like where they would have the boat. A hangar, yeah, a hangar, basically a big <laughs> sure. warehouse type. They set up you know. five thousand seats with a couple big yeah. screens up front. Couple, on the yeah, stage. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so. it was set up fine. Just we, our specific location was a bit of a difficult spot. Sure. On this theme of judgment, yeah, did they? Did any of the messages unpack specifically what what are these judgments that we're experiencing right now or did yeah. everyone just kind of feel like the, really the pandemic I, is a judgment the fall of institutions is a judgment the national division is a judgment do they talk about that at all no i mean i think that's where in that first that first message um that first message macarthur kind of kind of uh that, but that, again, that was yep. a pre-conference day. I think if you were to just come to the main conference, it will, you heard a lot of really solid, uh, sermons teaching on, on Christ. But, but knowing some of these guys, you know, that were there, there was this kind of underlying theme, you know, MacArthur and the things they went through there in California with keeping their church open. Yeah. We had, uh, Owen Strand was there as a, as a breakout speaker, but who, who has, you know, talked a lot about, um, just the the transgender issues and things we're going through in the culture, biblical, you know, manhood and womanhood. You know, we had that conference uh, not that long ago here 
um, that we did the live stream of. Uh, anyway, there was uh, the the pastor from up James Coates, who's up in uh, Canada, who got their you know their he was church arrested. Lock- and yeah. arrested for having church. Uh, what were the the circumstances around them? Been a while. Uh, they were. He was arrested for not following protocol. Right. Was, yeah. I mean, it's basically not following the Alberta COVID, health COVID protocols. Right. Alberta health okay. services. Yeah. Who in? I mean, in Canada, they were given basically carte blanche. They were. They became the authority, and and are the authority. Well, they've arrested so. uh, other pa- – there's that other pastor, the the Polish pastor, who's, yes. who's, who's gone viral. Out. They, Out. Uh, it was a pretty nasty, sneaky way of arrest. Well, Coates, who got arrested out on the highway by like SWAT teams and stuff? That was the that Polish was, guy. Yep. Okay. And oh. uh, I mean – so That some, was the first time. Yeah. Some they pretty arrested insane. him was on the highway and the second time was on a tarmac. I mean, this is an unarmed person, right? Pretty insane tactics going on up there. Oh, Yeah. Um, and they they basically tricked him to get him this last time. They mm-hmm. so I've got an insane Ugh. one. This might be a segue a little bit into our our couple of our last topics here. So speaking of COVID mm-hmm. and uh, top of mind for everyone, even though I would say from a policy standpoint, we really ought to be beyond pandemic. Um, there are countermeasures in terms of vaccine widely available. The actual vaccination rate in the country is exceptionally high. <laughs> Most people have antibodies if they didn't mm-hmm. get the vaccine and they've suffered mm-hmm. from COVID, but made it through. They have antibodies. So right. from a policy standpoint, uh, you would think we're past this, but no, no, no. It's all we ever hear about. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, I had a little brush with this and I'll anonymize um, as much as I possibly can. So in my in my work world, there was a man <laughs> yeah. once uh, upon a time, as far as you know, it was a man. Um, in my work world, I was in a conversation recently with a, uh, a large government contractor and mm. they were interested in us helping them with some information security consultation on a, uh, a military program. So as we're talking through the different, um, details that we would need in order to even put a proposal together, one of the questions that, um, that I asked was contractual, you know, master service agreements, all these different things that need to go through legal. Can we get that going? Another question that came up is given the nature of the project, what kind of security clearances will be required of us to support you on your, on your project? The answer was none, which we were a little surprised at, but okay. Hmm. Um, we, we, as a company, we have clearances, but the answer was you don't need any clearances. Okay. As we begin to talk about other requirements, the person I'm speaking with says, oh, but there are requirements. Everyone working on the project, regardless if they're remote work or not, will be required is required to have a vaccination card. Mm. Found this again. I uh, the to me and and you guys know I am vaccinated. I have no issue with that. I was eager to get it, and um, I ain't killed you yet. And and I'm probably <laughs> healthier now than I was before I got it. But that's probably just because I'm eating better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fine. And I was eager to get it because. That, that was my choice. And I appreciate the fact that I had a choice. Um, and I, I firmly, firmly believe in that, that um, to force people to do these sorts of things is is completely not only inappropriate, but it's unconstitutional in this country. So there's my you guys know that. But for audience, I'm showing my cards. But back to this work conversation, I just couldn't believe that a a project with some uh, security sensitivity to it. Would not the government would not require security clearance, but did require vaccine evidence of vaccination from everybody on the project, even if you're going to support the entire project from your basement. Mm. <laughs> you know? um, we do live in this kind of crazy time, 
uh, mm-hmm. um, not, no kind of to it. So uh, we, one of the things we talked about up there was these vaccine mandates. And I wonder if we can take a little bit of time as believers Again, huge temptation for division here, I think. And I think even even at a, a national level, this has been something that comes out with preachers, prominent podcasters, Christian podca- mm-hmm. podcasters and preachers, that this should not divide us. But there is a pretty wide group of opinions on on this. I think right. I, was, I was talking to you guys earlier. I was kind of struck with something I didn't even realize. There are people that, that believe that that they should not be vaccinated for actual spiritual reasons, not just constitutional, not just personal rights. Uh, what are you guys hearing? Are you encountering, was that, it's probably not addressed at a conference on Christ, but you know, and sitting around in the, in the cafeteria or in different places, it, what did you get any feel for that? There's, there was definitely at a place like the, uh, the conference, you can tell pretty quick, you know, where people are at on these things. Um, the city of Atlanta, the, the mayor there has, put in place a number of um, mask mandates and things like that for the city. But because of just the unique way that things work, the convention center itself is not under the mayor, it's under the governor. And the governor has not put mask mandates and such Mm -hmm. in place. So you could tell whenever you were on convention property, because every door had a sign that says, basically, if you die of COVID-19, it's not our fault. (laughs) So do whatever you're going to do, just take responsibility for it. Uh, and so in the, in the room of, you know, 6,400 people, um, probably a dozen or two, maybe a dozen or two that we saw that were, were wearing a mask or, or seemed to be doing anything of that nature. So the, the, the general consensus of the church gathered in that place seemed to be, we're going to come in and we're just going to worship face to face. Um, and so that, I think there wasn't a sense of division in that room. I didn't see anybody that was masked that seemed to be treated any differently. I think sure. that was just, Hey, glad you're here too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there didn't seem to be like this 50, 50 split, you know, where one side of the room is the masked mm-hmm. side and the other side of the room is <laughs> that did not seem mm-hmm. to be taking place, which, and well, I was great. grateful Praise for that, God for that. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Caleb? What are you seeing out there? I mean, are there, and I guess there's a question. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. Go oh, go ahead. ahead. No, what's your question? Well, you know, the mask is probably the easiest one. It's one thing to get a foreign substance injected sure. into your arm, right? Uh, potentially much more significant. Um, actually, it is more significant, however sure. you look at it, as a form mm-hmm. of additional protection. You, you look at the statistical rates that your your chances of being seriously harmed plummet even more than they were before. Sure. Uh, and the same with antibodies, too, which I think is often ignored. The masking, though, that's one that's mm-hmm. interesting because it has to be the single most obvious right. um, item and it's also the one with the least amount of evidence that it actually does anything, mm-hmm. but it is also the one that's created. I mean, you see people, you see videos of people being yelled at in stores for not wearing their mask. Um, mm-hmm. I have a neighbor down the street, wonderful lady, very secular, very, very liberal lady, but a wonderful person. She polite, she was telling me, she politely asked people, would you please put your mask on? Uh, which I told her, I said, you know, that's probably the best way to do it. <laughs> if you are going to do it at all, you know, you scream at people, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. But what do you, in terms of the masks, what do you, I mean, masks in church, masks in stores, what are your thoughts on it these days? We've been wearing these things for a year and a half. You, you well, are my thoughts on masks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, kill. I think they're ridiculous. I think they're ridiculous. <laughs> we, would, we all sat on four plus hour you flights with, uh, with. You uh, had to wear them, right? We had yep. to wear them, and and you know, and we, and, we, and we put them on. Yeah, well, we did. Yeah, you yeah. have to on well, planes. Yeah, I mean, but we're you know, if if there's areas where we're required to wear masks, I don't mind. I'm putting on a mask. I'm not. Um, but but well, and you liked it, you turkey. I didn't like it. I, jo- I was joking about liking it. I was like, I'm in my own little world here. But I'm a mask on. I'm doing, you know when what? The it, weather's cold. I don't mind them so much. <laughs> what it does, what it does do, is it does, it does, it does um, uh, tend to uh, lessen interaction with other people. Yeah. You know, I found typically when I've gone on planes, you know, I've been more. Uh, apt to talk to the people next to me, at least at the beginning before you take off, you know, and then they get reading their book or doing whatever and you just don't talk again much in the plane unless they're really chatty and then you talk a lot. But, uh, but this time it was kind of like, you know, if he kind of, you know, grunted high and they didn't grunt high back, it's like, well, you assume they don't, uh, don't want to engage. And so there you are. They're going to sit next to you for, for an hour in their mask in their own little world and, not talk to you, not talk to anyone. And it does cut down. It's hard to hear, it's hard to hear people on a plane anyway. So you do a little bit of lip reading on planes while mm-hmm. in the air, and the masks make that impossible. Yeah. I had a situation on my flight last week. I was flying back in. I was out in the Midwest for a few days, flying back home. And, uh, oh, man, I flew United. It's got to be the worst airline. Um, uh, anyway, I'm shoved into this middle seat, which was just miserable. It was too hot. But. Um, the, the food cart, the beverage cart, excuse me, there's no food cart anymore. The beverage <laughs> cart's coming down and finally getting back to where I'm crammed in the back of this airplane. And the, uh, the flight attendant, she asks me what I'd like to drink. And I, I tell her and she, she can't hear me. She says, what? And I tell her again, she says, what? And I pull the mask down to say water for the third time to which she says, no, no, put your mask back on which I put on, she hands me the water, I open it, pull it down and drink it. It's that kind mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. absurdity. That's where we're at. That mm-hmm. I think drives people insane. Another yeah. bit of absurdity. Um, by the way, I noticed around here, a lot of stores don't require it. Amazing to me. Like, mm-hmm. like no, pe- there's no sign requiring it, or if it is required, no one's wearing them. Find that interesting. Yeah. I wanted to read you guys this. You might've seen this. So uh, Costco is one of those that requires it, but doesn't actually make you put one on. They hand you one. So- they hand you the same masks that they're selling inside, which, <laughs> which I happen to like, by the way, because they're easier to breathe and they're black and whatnot. So mm. we bought a couple packs of these. And as we're driving back home, um, I think Jack read it out loud or I might have asked him to read it. So here's, mm-hmm. here is the clearly displayed label on the side of this box That's how you that they're that. pulling masks out and they hand you on the way in. Uh, so this uh, is what man. it says. These masks are not personal protective equipment and are not intended as replacements or substitutes for personal protective equipment. Here's the best part. These products are not intended for medical use or to prevent any disease or illness. Each mask is intended for single use only discard immediately after use. So the very mask that I've been politely asked to don as I enter the store mm-hmm. has that label on the box, right? So yep. it, it's completely absurd. And it's um, theater. It is theater. And I think that might be. Welcome to the theater. That might be what of brings. The real. If the Lord is gracious, brings us back from the brink of this time in which reality seems to not matter to people. Um, but they are starting to get fed up with the absurdity yeah. and the, and the inconsistencies. Some are. And that's, it'll have to. You know, that's all. Price all as well. There's a teacher in Puyallup that's they're taking a look at because uh, a student recorded an exchange in class where 
the teacher was pushing all the students, make sure you're getting vaccinated and all this kind of stuff. And some of the students were like, yeah, I don't want to. And so she's then going off on the students. If you don't do this, you're going to incubate a variant and you could kill the entire planet. Oh, geez. You know, and like these are our high school teachers. Mm. These are our lauded beacons of, you know, truth and instruction. Well, it makes you worry about everything else they're saying, right? If they're saying right. such outrageous, unsubstantiated yeah. things. But that's, these are people that are not just towing the line to keep their job. There are zealots, you yes. know, that really do mm. believe this is the existential crisis of our day until the pandemic fades. <laughs> and you know they're going to taper this right back into global climate change, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the one that's sitting there waiting to extend, you know, the, the pandemic has allowed them to develop a lot of tools that they're going to then immediately reapply back on that issue. And there's a lot of people that like it that way. That's what makes life exciting and interesting for them is to live in this perpetual state of paranoia. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're dealing with is it's an intentional choice to just be worried about everything all the time. We used to be addicted to outrage. I think we've kind of burned that out. Now we're, it seems like at least a big segment of the population is addicted to an entirely new stressor. You know, mm -hmm. what's the latest? Well, and well, it's, and, it's and because we're at a different stage of the game, well, right? Yes. Outrage is what you need to trigger in the population to detach them from their institutions. Yes. And then fear and paranoia is what you need to introduce to make them dependent on a replacement. So you've said this before, Chris, in a different context, but I think it's a great way to shift this to Christians now. And as dads, I mean, that is mm -hmm. the theme of our show, Three Christian Dads. Mm -hmm. If you are making decisions, and I'm going to try to, I'm not going to quote you, but I'm totally stealing this from you. If you're making decisions based on fear in particular, and you had some other things too, but you are not making a good decision. You know, in the business world, we talk about this. If you're waiting to the last possible minute to make decisions and you are unprepared, you're going to make it under stress. And the fact is you're going to make a bad one. Um, and usually a bad one is a mediocre one. But yeah, as, as Christians, if you are, I guess it's just a good way to evaluate. What are you, what is the, the steady stream of information that you're allowing to flow into your mind, fill your mind and fill your heart? If it's instilling you with a spirit of fear, um, and I want to differentiate, I'm assuming it's not the fear of God. Uh, that is, that is not the way we're supposed to, I mean, we're supposed to, those are not the things we're supposed to think on and meditate upon. No, we're not. And, and and when you allow that to begin to happen, you open yourself up to such profound manipulation. And that's what I'm sad, saddened to see spreading around. You know, there was, I remember which university was maybe Michigan. For those that were applying for religious exemptions, they had to signature and agree with statements like, I understand by taking this exemption, I am placing everybody around me at risk of death because, oh, you know, and, and you had a sign that you agreed to all of these doomsday things hmm. uh, when they, when it, and it even included phrases like, you know, when I know it could have been prevented by just getting the vaccine. Wow. You know yeah. how you sign and, that, by the way, I was told by a lawyer years ago, hmm. like if you're working at a place, hopefully this doesn't happen to you guys. If you're working at a place and you come into work one day and HR uh -huh. is sitting in your office, <laughs> Or there's a note and come to this conference room and you go in and HR sitting there and your boss is, okay, so you know you know that the axe is sharpened, you're, you're heading out. And then they push this paper in front of you to get your severance, right? 
You have to mm-hmm. sign it. So lawyer told me you should always sign in the worst possible pen- penmanship. This is inconscionable <laughs> because you're being forced to sign under duress. But what you just described is ridiculous, right? It is that ridiculous. You, that you have to agree to all these things that you clearly don't agree to. Otherwise, you wouldn't be filling out the exemption application. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a way of saying, even if there are ways we are obligated to not not be able to control you and force you to what we want we are going to force you to say that you think the way that we think. Mm-hmm. We're going to force you to agree with the underlying premises that we're using to drive all of these mandates. And we're not allowing any dissent on those premises, mm. which means it's just inevitable that you will then eventually be forced to actually follow through on those mandates because you've already agreed to the premises. Yeah. That's not how debate or discussion works. And then that filters down into other areas of society where we've got, you know, in our, in our little neck of the woods, We've got, uh, you know, f- our fire departments, our police departments, all these places that are are now. This is this has become the test. Are you going to do this? And if not, religious exemption or not, we will make no accommodation. You're fired if you don't mm-hmm. do this thing. And we had one of our local fire chiefs just choose to resign mm-hmm. um, because yeah. he said this is this is horrible leadership, and I'm not going to comply. And mm. his long and storied career is is now over. Uh, one of the, uh, now we're starting to hit the clock here, but one of the most interesting things that MacArthur said that will probably get him in trouble um, at the conference, and he mentioned it a couple times in the context of the military, but I do think it's applying more generally, is that the way that these mandates are being put into place across society and it's not just vaccine mandates and it's not just mask mandates, but it's also like forced CRT training, forced um, acceptance and mm-hmm. celebration of the LGBTQ array. All of these things have one very interesting effect, and that is it drives men out of all of these places, mm-hmm. like actual biblical, godly, strong men. Mm-hmm. And instead fills all these institutions of coercion and power not with principled men, but with those willing to radically and enthusiastically do whatever they're told to think and believe. And when you of, say men, you're not just talking about biological men. I'm not men. just talking about you're biological men. You're talking about men. men that stand biblically right. and follow a biblical model of leadership, the, responsibility, mm-hmm. strength, allegiance to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The emasculation of the, yes. of the institutions in society that have coercive power. That should be a terrifying thought. It also shows I, I love the uh, I love the way that this kind of brings into clarity I think I think as a as a as a people as a people of God in our country we've what's was it Aristotle that said he whoever defines the categories controls the argument <laughs> it might have been Aristotle I can't remember some some old timer one of those guys yeah it might have been Socrates <laughs> Socrates a little tip of the hat to Bill and there Ted but anyway yeah. um the point being uh, I think we've allowed ourselves on some level, maybe not even consciously to be manipulated into categories by manipulative governing elites, whether it be a blue, someone carrying a blue flag or someone carrying a red flag. Um, one might be a little closer to us, but these are still manipulative elites that are looking for votes, looking for power. And as Christians, we don't have to fit into their categories. All that matters is God's categories and yeah. Jesus and Jesus mandate um, we need to find, uh, we need to respect these authorities, not disrespect them. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to obey everything they say, especially particularly when it's in conflict with God's word. 
You're here. So, yep, yeah, it is about that time. Sorry, guys. I got to get on that. That's right, on that airplane. (laughs) Um, But I wonder if we're, when we reconvene, we've got some other topics up here that we've really barely touched. But this respect for authority, I want to, if with your permission. Ooh, a teaser. Yeah, with your permission, I, I wonder if we can continue to talk about this time in which we are living in a growing authoritarianism. And I would argue not necessarily from elected officials, but from a growing unelected bureaucracy at every level of government, federal, state, et cetera. Mm. Um, what do we, how do we as Christians live in the environment? How do we respect? What does that look like? You know, not just theoretically, hypothetically, what does it, what does it look like in daily lives for us and our families and our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, what does it look like to live in respect to our authorities, but maintaining allegiance to God, not just in obeying his commands, but in, in being the men, as you said, biblical men, biblical women mm-hmm. in this time and age. I, I think I'd, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of getting down to brass tacks if we can, because I think that's an area that I'm looking for um, wisdom in, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well, join the club, I think, for all of us. So Mm. that'll be fun one to talk about. All right. Well, with that, let me wrap us up here. You know, we probably, I probably ought to pull out the notes. We used to have such a polished intro and a polished outro, polished outro. (laughs) And now that I don't have it in front of me, I'll just close as best as I can. Hey, we want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and joining us here on this episode of Bombadil's Porch. Uh, We appreciate your input. Appreciate uh, the commentary we get and the requests uh, to deal with certain subjects. We have entertained a variety of requests uh, since we started this podcast. Everything yeah. from uh, serious topics to challenges on whether or not Skittles all taste the same. Uh, special guest speaker or special guest uh, a partner here on the porch next week. Oh, is it next week? I think so, right? Oh, okay. Well, this is our teaser then. Tell yeah. us more. Well, that's it. You, you have to come next week. We are going to, <laughs> okay. uh, we are going to have an author. Father, educator, scholar, who's who thinks podcast is probably more impressive than it actually is. Did he carry the decimal too far to he the may, right? He may have. <laughs> but no, we are excited. 45 million. <laughs> yes. Who has written a book whose title some Baptist cannot even read out loud. Oh, that's right. It does have a questionable in it, doesn't it? Mm. Oh, that's a good teaser. I'm looking, I love when we have guests, by the way. You guys are great, but it's always kind of interesting to hear, you know, somebody <laughs> else's voice on here. <laughs> True that. With us. <laughs> so we are, yes, we are very excited to have, have a guest next week. Yeah. And a published author. Excellent. Published author. Is that a double entendre? Some authors are not published though. So that. Uh, this guy no, actually, not. actually has <laughs> it's a actually book. a significant difference. <laughs> I wrote a book. Did anybody want to? Kill a tree for it? Did you ever hit no. print? <laughs> this guy's hit print. It is yeah. actually, uh, well, anyway, I'm, I'm actually enjoying the book. Started it when you, a little after you handed it to me, Kevin. Oh, good. All right. Well, let's wrap this baby up. Uh, again, thank you all for joining us. Please give us your feedback if you have any. Um, you can, of course, find us at bombadillsporch.com. Uh, we do stream on any podcasting software of choice. And if you are listening to us and you did enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating and maybe a bit of a review. If you think we stink, just stay away from the ratings altogether um, and just shoot us an email or a voicemail. Well, it's been a while since we got some voicemail out there. Um, but again, Again, thank you all for joining us. We uh, we enjoy the time together, and we're glad you do too. And with that, I want to close out 
with a, an exhortation. I, I'm going to go back to Chris and Caleb, what you shared that um, John MacArthur shared the day of the pre-conference. Begin to look at the world around us uh, with a different view. These are not our enemies. These are people under judgment. And we are living in a country that is also under divine judgment. And it will only grow worse. We're here not to condemn. We're here to share the glorious gospel of Christ. And by gospel, I don't just mean an event. I mean a person. The risen Jesus, uh, our Lord. And um, with that, please engage with uh, with your neighbors with perhaps a new sense of uh, compassion, but never compromising the truth. We do serve a glorious God and he is at work around us. Even when things feel like they're falling apart, it is because he is the one moving and moving in accordance to his will. 